Well, that's what Hollywood predicts awaits you in about a year. December 21st, 2012, this movie 2012 is about a prediction of the end of the world based on the Mayan calendar. The Mayans, of course, in Central America, Indians, they're suggesting that because their calendar stops, that means the end of the world is there, and it's a prediction. Listen, great cinematography, but lousy in terms of its predictive ability. But I want you to think about, I show that this morning because I want you to think about the word prediction, predicting the future. The Bible talks quite a bit about this. It's called prophecy. Prophecy in the Bible is not only what 1 Corinthians tells us that's meant the gift of prophecy to encourage, to edify, to build people up, but there is a predictive element of the Bible where God literally is able to, through speaking through people, predict what's going to happen in the future. And the difference between the world and what you see on Hollywood and all the stuff, the psychic hotline and all those things and their predictions is the Bible's prophecies are always fulfilled. Come on. The Bible is not just good guess. It's not just a percentage, but biblical prophecy is always fulfilled. And when you see the fulfillment, it causes us to examine the one speaking to us about what's, uh, what's being said. Now, look at Matthew chapter 1. With that background, let's look at the first Christmas. But I want you to keep in the back of your mind this idea of predictions and prophecy. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together as husband and wife, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit, which literally means this woman who never had sexual relations with a man was supernaturally pregnant. It does not imply that God had any physical relations with her, but just in some way that God deposited the seed that was gave birth to Christ into her womb. Verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Joseph was the one she was engaged to. And he said, verse 21, she will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus. Now listen to the predictive. Because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus would be the Savior of mankind, the only exclusive Savior, the Messiah. Now look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And the prophet Isaiah said that the virgin will be with child and she will give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means... Now think about that. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14. You know this book of Isaiah was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls long about 1948, I believe it was. Shepherd boy throwing rocks over in ancient Israel. He heard this sound. They went and explored it. And lo and behold, this huge treasure chest of ancient manuscripts, one of which was the book of Isaiah, which was virtually identical to every other manuscript of Isaiah that they translated the Bible from, suggesting again the authenticity and the trustworthiness of the Bible. But Isaiah, about 700 years before Christ was born, said some amazing things. Number one, he said a virgin will have a child. Now, how I many know that's pretty big in and of itself? A virgin will have a child, but number two, this literally will be God coming, leaving heaven and coming to the earth. And lo and behold, in the person of Christ, this literally happened 700 years later. Now, when we say the 700 years and a prophecy fulfilled, they're just kind of words that come out of our mouth oftentimes, but maybe I can give you perhaps an illustration, something like this. I want you to imagine 700 years ago here in America, here in the Arklatex, here in Miller County, Bowie County, 
700 years ago. We're talking way back from the Civil War. We're talking beyond the Founding Fathers. We're talking beyond any war America has fought. We're talking beyond Columbus when he came and discovered the Western world. We're talking about 700 years ago, two Indians are sitting on the bank of the Red River. Now, I want you to get the picture here, and again, this is just a picture I'm painting. Two Indians are sitting there. They've just eaten a big fish dinner, caught a big bass. They're rubbing their tummy and says, one Indian says, man, I'm full. That was really good fish. And the other one goes, full. This shall be called Fulton, Arkansas one day in 700 years. And in 700 years in Fulton, Arkansas, they will build a power plant. And this power plant will generate electricity. And the other Indian said, what's electricity? And the Indian said, well, electricity is this force, unseen force of power that comes through these electrical lines. What's an electrical line? I'll tell you later. It comes to, into the house. What's a house? You're like a tent that doesn't move. Okay. So it comes into the tent. You hit a switch. What's a switch? Well, a switch is a component in an electrical circuit that allows this unseen force to go and turn on the light bulb. Wait, what's a light bulb? Well, you know, it's what you turn on when you go in the kitchen to open the refrigerator, and a refrigerator is a box that makes things cold when it's hot. Uh-huh. And none of this means anything. But this Indian sitting on this bank, and then all of a sudden he said, I'm not done. And this plant in Fulton, Arkansas will be opposed, and lawyers will enter the picture. And the Indian says, what's a lawyer? I mean, all these things that we take for granted and talk about on a daily basis, to them, it would have seemed far-fetched. To them, it would have seemed impossible. To them, it would have seemed like a fairy tale. But I want to tell you, my friends, it was a predictive prophecy from God. Now, what I just shared with you is a funny story about two make-believe Indians, but the Bible is neither funny nor a make-believe because the Bible's prophecies, listen, are fulfilled. And it is the fulfillment of prophecies that force us to examine the Scripture in a light that it well may be true. Now, it was not one isolated Scripture. Let's read just a little further. Verse, uh, the second chapter of the next verse, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Magi, or the wise men, or these three kings, as the kid said, they came from the east to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? Now, verse 3, King Herod, who was the Jewish king at the time, a bit jealous, called the people together and the teachers of the law and said, and asked them where the Christ, and Christ is Messiah. Messiah means Savior, where he was to be born. And they said, he's to be born in Bethlehem in Judea. For this is what the, the prophet has written. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of the tribes of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So here once again we find a contemporary with the prophet Isaiah. His name is Micah. 700 years before Christ was born predicts the very town where Jesus would be born. Now you've heard these things many, many times, but I want you to capture this morning the enormity of what we're hearing. Being able to predict 700 years ahead in time. Now, I asked the question this morning, does the Bible say these things to us simply as a matter of history, as a matter of fact? Or is there a greater message that we can glean from predictive prophecies in the Bible? Is there something that we can infer? Is there a message that God is speaking that's, that is perhaps even larger and stronger than the specific prophecy? I believe that it is. And I believe the message of fulfilled biblical prophecy is this, is that God is in control, come on, of human history, and God will accomplish His, His purpose on the earth. Uh, let me say it again. Predictive prophecy tells us that God is in control. Because how many know what God is predicting, God is causing? 
God is not just seeing something that's arbitrary that might happen in the future. Just this week, two hurricane experts that had been making predictions about the hurricane season early, much very early in the year, they basically threw their hands in the air and says, we're not going to try this anymore because we can't accurately predict when the hurricane is coming. So this is not a best guess. What God is saying, I'm telling you what I have purposed to happen in the future, and it's going to happen, and when it does, that will confirm to you that I'm the one that's behind it, and I am directing the earth and the peoples on it to a predetermined purpose. Now, come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. So I've entitled this morning's message, God is in Control. Now, I hope these words move from the abstract in your mind into the depths of your heart. Because oftentimes we feel like we're just kind of pawns in this great world, don't we? We just look around and we kind of feel like, well, my vote won't matter in the fall because somebody else has already figured it out. People with money and people with power. Let me tell you, my friends, there's somebody bigger than the guy that's got an R behind his name or a D behind his name. Come on. Listen, there's somebody that's bigger. The Bible even says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and God turns it wheresoever he will. So whether it's President Obama or whether it's President Romney or whether it's President Newt or whether it's President Perry, whoever it is, there's somebody bigger than them, come on, that is moving history towards a predetermined course. Now, I cannot explain to you how human free will and how the devil gets in all that mix, but I can tell you God's over it all and God is instrumental in accomplishing his purposes. Now, prophecy and predictions. A prophecy is literally a prediction of the future. Now, it it has a supernatural element to it. When we talk about biblical prophecy, we're not talking, for example, like an actuarial table when an insurance uh, company will, will, you make your application and and they take your age and your health record and they say, well, based on your, you know, these health issues with diabetes or heart or whatever the case is, that we figure you're going to live this long. So, you know, they figure all that out. Well, let me know that's not a prophecy. They're predicting how long you are going to live, just like the hurricane predictor is trying to do it. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something with a supernatural element to it. Now, when we talk about prophecy, lots of people are trying to predict what's going to happen in 2012. Lots of people are predicting. I just kind of, for giggles, I just decided that I would Google the phrase, Prophecy and Predictions 2012. Prophecy and Predictions 2012, 4.6 million hits just popped up. 4.6 million prophecies and predictions of 2012. Let me just give you a couple of the things that are out there that are influencing people's lives. Because here's the deal. Whether you consciously practice this or not, it's working in your life. Whatever you believe about the future is determining what you're doing today. If you genuinely believe that one day you're going to stand before God and give an account for your life, the fear of God will be a part of you and it will keep you on the right path. If you think that there's no judgment, that there's no accountability, that anything, I can do whatever I want to do, you'll just kind of live willy-nilly just like you know, most of the world does because you believe there's no consequences. But if you believe something's going to happen, listen, if you believe Zycam will keep you from having a cold, you're going to go buy some and the first sniffle you're going to use it. I mean, what we believe about the future will determine what we do in our lives. Well, here's some things that just kind of popped up on the first website after my little Google search. The first one from what was called the Colburn Bible. Now, I mean, just because something has the word Bible behind it doesn't it mean that it's the inspired Word of God. Well, here's a collection of writings from supposedly Egyptian and Celtic authors that recorded prophetic warnings for the future. When they use the word prophetic, it's differently than I use it. But there are signs that are now converging on 2012. It said there's going to be in 2012 an Armageddon-like conflict with radical Islam. 
Well, I could have told you that. Um, it's going to be an end to life as we know it by some celestial event. In other words, in 2012, it's going to be, you know, Bruce Willis and Armageddon. There is a comet. There is something that's going to happen, you know, in the world, and we don't have Bruce to rescue us. I mean, the world is going to end because of that. Here's an interesting one. Back to the Mayans. 2012 apocalypse. Will the village of Bugarak be spared? Now, maybe you've never heard of this small town. A tiny French hamlet, about 184 people, there's a number of people, doomsday believers, convinced it's the only place that will survive Judgment Day on December 21st. Okay? So people that believe that are making their way there. They're buying property. They're setting up shop there because they believe that's going to be the, you know, the last place to survive when the Mayan calendar runs out. Here's an interesting one. 2012 Exodus, the return of God Almighty. Now, before you believe that's a Christian prophecy... It's God Almighty's name is Ra. The year 2012 signals the return of God Almighty, Ammon Ray. Ra is the God of the heavens and the sky. So why is Ra returning? Now I want you to listen to this because it's just a sprinkling of biblical language. How about just because someone uses biblical terms doesn't mean it's decidedly Christian. There's a lot of false... How many know the Jesus of the Mormon religion and the Jesus of the Jehovah Witness religion is not the Jesus, come on, of the Orthodox, the Orthodox Christian Bible? It's a different Jesus. The Mormon Jesus is a God that one day you'll be like him. He's one of many other than the exclusive only God as the Bible portrays him. But this God, Ra, is coming to start a new world. From a single strand of your hair or a photograph of you at any age... Rock and reconstruct you, and you'll live eternally at any age you desire. Okay, so here, all you got to get a piece of hair, get a picture of yourself, and you're in your glory days forever and ever and ever. Now, eternally, eternity is a biblical concept, but how I many know that's not the way you get there by Ra putting you in the photocopy machine and reproducing you? I mean, it's something, but that's what people believe. Can you, I can imagine them sitting cross-legged on the floor on couches, smoking pot, and just saying, hey, 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 what year do we want? You know, I can imagine that. Now, I've kind of said that made you laugh a little bit, but I want you to think about what's out in the world. But now I want you to think about the Bible. I want you to think about documents from the Bible. You see the Bible as one collective book. It's been assembled since probably about 300 A.D. Many of the, of course, the Old Testament writings were affirmed by the Jewish believers, the Israeli people, way, way, way before the New Testament was compiled and the old, the old was already there. But as we look into the Bible, historians can verify the age of different manuscripts. Archaeologists can tell us. Now, I want you to listen, and I'm just going to read some things to you. And I want you to just kind of be impacted by these prophecies, some of them hundreds of years before Christ came, but some even thousands of years before Christ was born. Uh, listen to uh, Genesis 3.15. You remember after the fall of man, the first prophecy of Christ was this, that Christ would be born as the seed of the woman. Now, what is the seed? It's the sperm. But yet it was not coming from a man God's Son, the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, to undo what Adam and Eve messed up in the Garden of Eden was the seed of a woman. He goes on to say in Genesis that Christ would come as the seed of Abraham. This is the Jewish race. Psalm, the psalmist tells us that great persons would come to adore him. Mind you now, these are all predictive words. Great persons, the magi that we just read about, these wise men. He, Malachi tells us he would be preceded by a forerunner. Lo and behold, John the Baptist. Zechariah says he would enter publicly into Jerusalem. We're talking about the week before his death. 
Psalm says he would preach in parables, and Isaiah said he would work miracles. The psalmist said he would be rejected by his brothers, his family, but also by the Jewish rulers, the very ones that killed him. Imagine now, we're talking hundreds of years into the future, and we are predicting all these things about one man, the man Christ Jesus. The psalmist said he would be betrayed by a friend, Judas. Zechariah says the disciples would all forsake him, and he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah tells us his intense suffering would be for other people. Mind you, what you flip through just the pages of the Bible, these, these what verses I'm reading you are, are decades and hundreds of years apart, all pointing to Jesus Christ. Uh, Isaiah tells us that he would intercede for those that were murdering him, Christ's prayer, prayer on the cross. The psalmist tells us not a bone would be broken. Usually they would break the shin bone of a person on the cross so they would literally collapse and they would, they would die from, from the, because they couldn't breathe. They couldn't pull themselves up. Uh, Zechariah predicted that he would be pierced, the sword in his side, the accounts in the gospel. The psalmist talked about his resurrection, his ascension, that he's at the right hand of God. And Isaiah also said that he would live for his kingdom would last forever. Now, that was only about half of what I was able to research to find about the prophecies predicting Christ. Now, what you think about that? We, I probably gave you 20 different things. If you just looked at probability theory, now think about this. Think about the gamblers that set the odds in Las Vegas on ball games and, you know, whatever else may be going on. Is Tim Tebow going to outdo Brady today? Who's the real quarterback? And they're taking odds on these things. Well, guess what? The Bible, it, for you to look at the events of Christ where this one man, Jesus Christ, fulfilled all these prophecies hundreds and even several thousand years before his birth, the probability that would happen is similar to a tornado going through a junkyard and producing a 757 jet. Now that's what comes off the assembly line from Boeing. But how many know the difference between the junkyard tornado and Jesus in that jet plane is purpose. And God had a purpose in all these predictive prophecies because God is not just recording as a historian. God is predicting what's going to happen in the future. And listen now, God will cause the future to become reality. And this is the nature of biblical prophecy. This is what sets Christianity apart. And the overriding message of what I'm telling you this morning of fulfilled biblical prophecy is God is in control of human history. Come on. And God will accomplish His purpose in the earth. Now, I want to make that a little more practical to you today. Again, most of this was just background to tell you some things that I think lessons we can learn, what we can infer as we read through the pages of the Bible and see prophecy fulfilled. You will not find prophecy like this about Muhammad. You will not find prophecy like this about Buddha or Confucius or whoever else, Hare Krishna or whoever else is the in religious feature. But Jesus is different. The Bible is different. And the longer, listen, the longer scientists pursue him, if they're honest, the more they will find him. Listen, the longer archaeology digs, the more they confirm the Bible. Listen, the Bible, my friends, is proving itself correct as long as people are willing to listen to it. Now, look in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Let me give you this morning three lessons that I think we can infer from fulfilled biblical prophecy. And the first one is this, as I've said before, that God will accomplish His purpose on the earth. And listen, nothing can stop it. I want you to see all of human activity 
beginning with the creation of man through the, you know, the people that you studied about in ancient history, Western civilization, the history of America, those that are alive today, all the history books in the world is like going through this great funnel. And this funnel is ending up in the ultimate purpose of God on the earth. Now, I want you to think large, big picture just a moment. What is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of all that goes on on the earth? Ephesians chapter 1. Now, let me read. Those that study Greek say this first chapter of Ephesians in particular is like one long sentence. I mean, it's not like, you know, in our English Bible, you know, we have sentences, some simple, some complex. But this is like one long flowing sentence. But listen to the essence of it. Ephesians 1 verse 8 tells us that God, verse 9, let us know his secret purpose. God let us know his secret purpose. Now, here's verse 10. God's goal was to carry out his plan when the right time came. Prophecy is all about timing. That all things in heaven and on earth, everybody say all things, would be joined together in Christ as the head. All the, every person that's ever lived and that's a follower of Christ will one day rule and reign with Christ, come on, for all eternity. One day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. One day those that have believed in Christ in this lifetime now, the Bible tells us that today is the day of our salvation. If you're here today and you're putting off the day that you might put your trust in Christ, maybe you're young and you say, well, I want to have some fun first. I want to live life and then I'll do the religious thing. You may miss it. Now is the day, my friend. You can't wait to judgment day to come and then say, oh, by the way, I changed my mind. Today is the day to accept Him, or if you don't, you automatically reject Him. But that's what God is doing. God is creating a people from all of humanity over all time, different colors of skin, different backgrounds. But how many know he's uniting us in Christ? We are collectively called the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. And that's what God is doing is he's preparing us to rule and reign with him for all eternity in a new heaven and a new earth. Now verse 11 says, in him we were also chosen having been, what's the word? Predestined. In other words, God pre-planned. God saw in advance. He still gave us free will, but we're choosing His choice as we follow His plan. We were predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. God works out everything to conform to His purpose and His will. Now, that's powerful. Because it simply says, my friend, we don't care. Listen, I care who's in Washington because I know the decisions they're making are affecting our lives. Come on. I, listen, I wish they would just shut down for about six months. I, we, 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 I may believe we could run our lives a little bit better than people that are spending money that we do not have. And Listen, they're just kicking the problem down the road. But my friend, I'm telling you, God is bigger than all these things. He's bigger than the powerful. He's bigger than the ones that have their own private jets. He's bigger than the dictators. Come on. He's bigger than the senators. He's, he's bigger than the Supreme Court that will decide whether health care as we know it. Come on, we'll go down that road and lead us into a more defined socialist nation or we might return to some sense of individual liberty. God is in control. It matters that we're involved, but ultimately God is the one behind this. 2 Timothy 1.9 says God saved us and called us to live a holy life. Listen, young people, you know what a holy life is? It's a life that's set apart to God. Doesn't mean you have to look like me, talk like me, or dress like me, but you need to be set apart to God. Come on, God needs to be first in your life. And why does it say? Not because we deserved it, 
because this was his plan from the beginning of time. Let me say it again. This was God's plan from the beginning of time that we would respond to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which simply tells us, how many know the Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, now in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So the Bible teaches us before time began, God was already there. You say, where was he? I'm not sure because there wasn't anything. It's like from the starting place, you cannot understand God. From the get-go of the first few words of Genesis 1-1, God is way up here, and I'm way down here in my understanding. But God was preexistent, come on, and he is working the future towards his plan. But does it ever feel like sometimes the devil, come on, is winning? Does it ever feel like evil is just getting the best of things and trying to stop things? I'll give you one little example here. There's a group from Wisconsin called Freedom From Religion Foundation. And it's the hot group that people are calling. Anybody who's an agnostic, atheist, that doesn't, doesn't like the Christian faith in particular, basically they call and say, listen, come down here and bring your lawyers. Uh, they stopped prayer at football games in my hometown this year in DeSoto County, Mississippi. Uh, that same group has threatened to sue the Bowie County Commissioner's Court because they would just dare to bow their heads and have a prayer before their meetings. Um, that same group this week I read about in Athens, Texas, right down the road, a least Texas town, they dared to put a manger scene on the courthouse lawn. Somebody rode by and says, I'm again that. Now, isn't it amazing how we're supposed to be tolerant? Come on. And we're supposed to tolerate everything, but the world wants to tolerate nothing. So they go by the courthouse and said, we're going to stop this. And one of those good old boys in Athens said, listen, when hell freezes over, we'll take this, uh, we'll take this manger scene down. Now, I don't know... But the audacity of an individual of a group saying that they can stop the purpose of God is like me thinking I can stop the sun from shining. It's like, it's like me looking at that, that, that burning planet we call the sun that comes up in the east and trying to stop it or standing before the great ocean and trying to stop the waves. It's as silly to think that a man or a group can stop the purpose of God as it is if your three-year-old tied you up with spaghetti and started laughing and saying, Daddy, you can't get up now because I tied your hands and feet with these noodles. Come on. That's the, as ludicrous it is that a man could stop the purpose of God. Come on, the devil may get in there, but how many know God is going to prevail? Give him a big hand this morning. Let me give you a couple more. Go to Psalm 139. Not only will God accomplish this purpose in the earth, now let me say this to you, God will accomplish his purpose in your life, and nothing can stop him but you. Now, how many know we can stop God if we don't cooperate with him? But God, listen, nothing can stop that. When God looked ahead at time, don't you think about this, and God was prophesying through Isaiah, he didn't just have a faceless, nameless woman in mind. He had a girl named Mary in mind, come on, that was a virgin that would give birth to Christ. When he had in mind Joseph that would care for this family uh, before they were married, Joseph was not a nameless, faceless person. God saw Joseph 700 years, ago, 700 years in advance. And can I tell you, my friend, God had a purpose in Mary and Joseph, and God has a purpose in your life. And God will fulfill his purpose, and nobody can stop it as long as you're working with God. Psalm 139, verse 16. It says, You, God, saw my body as it was formed in my mother's womb. Now listen to this next phrase. All the days planned for me were written in your book before I was one day old. 
all my days were written in your book before I was one day old. Which simply means this, my friend, the greatest ambition of our lives should be that you and I live out every page that God has written for us. That we live out today the page of December, whatever it is, 17 or 18. Uh, we live out every day of our life. This is what God has called me to do, and this is what I'm doing with my life. And if I could give you one piece of advice, listen to me, young people. If you would start every day with the Lord's Prayer, when the Lord told us to pray to our Father in heaven, but he said to pray that God's kingdom would come, come on, on earth as it is in heaven, that God's will would be done, that you are praying literally that God's will would be done in your life, and you offer yourself to work with God and to accomplish his purpose in the earth. Because can I tell you this, my friend? No obstacle can stop you but you. The devil may get in your path, people may get in your path, but I want to tell you, no power on this earth can stop God's work in your life. Listen, I don't care if you don't have enough money, enough education, enough whatever it is, if God has called you, I don't care about the color of your skin, I don't care about the fact that you were, you were raised in a broken home or you don't even know your parents or everything that's stacked up against you, if God has called you to do something, nothing will stop you. An obstacle in your way, God will show you how to get over the top of that thing, around it, under it, or go right through it. Come on, or God will just explode it before you. But nothing will stop the purpose of God but you. Now look, even, even, and even if you get off the pathway, how many know God can help you get back on the pathway of life? You might have ignored, ignored the pages of your life that God wanted for the last few days, weeks, months, or years. If you will surrender your life to Christ today and say, Lord, I want you to be first in my life. I want to serve you for the rest of my life. God starts, come on, that book begins unfolding again in your life. Listen, if you're called to be a preacher, how many know if you end up jail in jail, you might be a preacher in jail? That's what happened to Chuck Colson, and it gave birth to this huge mega ministry influencing people around the world. Come on, tell your neighbor, nobody can stop God in your life. Let me go quickly. I want you to go to John chapter 14. These fulfilled prophecies tell me at least three things. They tell me God has a purpose. He can't be stopped. His purpose in the earth, His purpose in my life. But listen to me on this one. I can face the future with confidence instead of fear. Now, let me say it again. I can face 2012, and I can go to sleep on December 21st. When Harold Camping predicted the world was coming to an end, the rapture was going to happen on May, what was it, May 15th? Uh, uh, listen, I went to bed that night, and I didn't have the news on. Come on, I turned my iPhone on silent so I could just wake up in the morning. I woke up just like you did. October 21st, again, oops, no rapture happened. There's people in the world that are trying to make predictions, but God is the one in control of the future. Now, when the prophets Isaiah and Micah began prophesying about the future and they saw Christ was going to be born one day, can I tell you, between the day they prophesied and the day of Christ's birth, there was a lot of darkness. There was a lot of things to worry about. There was a lot of things to be fearful about. The whole nation of Israel would go into captivity and exile. The whole nation would be virtually destroyed. A lot of darkness was in the world. But guess what? You, that just like they, you and I are able to see, come on, Christ in His coming, God in His purposes, and that shines brighter than the darkness of the darkest day. Because you, know, you, you need to remind yourself, it is a dark world. There are ominous clouds on the horizon. There are economic issues that are not solved in America, that are not solved in this world. All we do is kick the can down the road and print more money. There will be a day of reckoning one day. 
You could wake up one day, my friend, and just like you saw 9-11 on the television, you could see Israel attacking the nuclear facilities. They will not let Iran get a nuclear weapon. You listen to their senior leaders, friend. They will not let Iran get a nuclear weapon. You could wake up one morning and you could see them bombing the, uh, Iran, but then you could see Iran shooting missiles into the Strait of Hormuz where 40% of the world's oil is transported through. And just like that, your $3 gas could become $5 gas if you could get it. And just like that, our nation could come under martial law. Come on, everything could just shut down because the world is dependent. I'm telling you, it is a troubling world out there. But even if all that happens, you could lift up your eyes. Come on into the hills from whence cometh our help. Our help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And it is a hope that grounds you and makes you secure. Jesus gave this promise to his disciples in John chapter 14. Jesus said, I am leaving you with a gift. Peace. Can you say peace? I am leaving you with peace. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away. Here's the prediction. But I'm coming back to you again. So can I tell you, friend, life on this earth is temporary. It is not permanent. It is not supposed to last forever. Jesus, come on, is our bright and shining star. Give him a big hand. I want you to look in John 13, and I'm going to close with this this morning about what does the future hold. What does the future hold? Well, for moviegoers and the Mayans, it's going to be the end of the world. And the only place to go is maybe this little place in France. But Jesus made a prediction that's different. Listen to what Jesus said. John chapter 13. Jesus talking to his disciples now, verse 1. He knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus knew that. And notice this next phrase. This is so cool. Jesus said, I'm telling you now before it happens. Can you say, before it happens? So he's making a prediction. And why? So that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am he. He is capitalized, that I am very God. So what Jesus would be saying to us this morning is, because of all these fulfilled prophecies, you got to know that I'm the Son of God. Verse 36, poor Peter, he said, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, where I'm going, you can't follow now. Here's another prediction, but you will follow later. And can I tell you, you and I are going to follow one day too. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions, many dwelling places. Here's another prediction. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I don't know what that means, but I bet you it's going to be pretty good. I would imagine there'll be cypress trees, duck blinds for everybody in heaven. I don't know what it's going to be like, but Jesus is going to prepare a place for you. In verse 3, he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, here's another prediction. I'm coming back and taking you to be with me. It's not just going to heaven. You're going to be with me. And Jesus said, you know the way and the place I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said these amazing words. Jesus said, I am the way, come on, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So what Jesus is saying, listen, Jesus said, I'm going to die, and I'm coming back to life. And let me tell you, friend, history verifies it. History verifies it. 
There has been no sound explanation for the empty tomb other than the fact that Christ rose from the dead. Why would the disciples that were hiding and running in fear now give their life as martyrs? Come on, unless Christ had risen from the dead. They couldn't find him anywhere. But listen, 500 people, the New Testament records, saw him. They would give testimony in court. They saw him on this earth. Thomas touched the holes in his hands and his side, and they believed. My friend, Jesus predicted it, and it happened. People saw him go to heaven, but now we're awaiting this next prediction. And this next prediction is one day, I'm coming back. And I'm coming back for all my followers. Paul echoed the sentiment when he said in the book of Thessalonians that one day there's going to be a trumpet call, and the dead in Christ will rise. It's the voice of the archangel, and dead people, tombs will open back up, and their spirits that are with Christ will join to those old bodies, and those bodies will be resurrected. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with the Lord in the air to be with Him forever. The Bible says comfort one another with these words. So I want to tell you, my friends, that's the Bible's prediction to what's going to happen in the future. As much as you may rely, may rely on Mr. Google, Mr. Google only does what Mr. Google's engineers tell him to do. How many know they are limited in what they know? But God knows the future, and he's bringing the future to pass before our very eyes. Come on, give him a big hand this morning. Well, we're going to close with a prayer this morning, and I want to, if I could have your attention just kind of eye to eye just a second, because for many, this is the most important morning of, uh, moment of the morning. Just a minute, we'll be off about our day, but for the next few minutes, I, I, I wonder what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you. I wonder how God may be tugging on your heart. See, Jesus gave us this prediction that he's coming again. He's coming back to this earth, but he also told us to be watching and be ready to go at a moment's notice. So my question for you is, are you ready today? If this were the day of Christ's return, would you go with him? Are you a follower of Christ? And here's where I fear so many people have missed it. If you would ask me as a teenage boy if I was going to heaven, I'd say, well, sure, everybody goes to heaven. I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I hadn't killed anybody, hadn't raped anybody. How I many know it only takes one sin to separate a man from God? It only takes one sin to make the innocent little child a sinner, come on, and the vilest adult a sinner. It takes one sin to separate us from God. My good works can't earn me a place in heaven. It's only my faith in Christ. You see, this baby Jesus came to this earth. He gave his life. But he didn't come just to be born in a manger. He came to die on a cross. And that cross was the place where the penalty of sin was paid for. It's like a mortgage that could never be paid. Like the American debt, it can never be paid. I don't know what they're going to do with it, but it cannot be paid. It's just too much. It's impossible. Somehow God has the ability to pay what's impossible. And when Jesus died on that cross, he didn't die for his own mistakes. He died for mine and he died for yours. And he died for everybody else's in the world. The question is, will we believe him? Will we follow him? Will we get on his side? It's as if this morning... A bus is pulling up, and the bus is saying, anyone that wants to be a follower of Christ, live your life for Him. Serve Him the rest of your days. Not just know about Him, but follow Him. Come on, get on the bus, and the bus is going to take off. So, my friend, I want to ask you, are you on that bus? Have you ever made a, a step to Christ? Where you said, Lord, I want to ask you to forgive my sins today. I, I want to ask you to make me a new person. And listen, I'm going to follow you the rest of my days. And it's something that happens between your asking for forgiveness, your choice to believe, 
and you the surrender of your life to Christ, it makes the turnaround happen. I can tell you, I'm a satisfied customer. August 15, 1976, I gave my life to Christ. I've never been the same. So I wonder today if you are ready for the prediction of Christ. I wonder if today, and I cannot think of a better gift to give Christ than on this Sunday before Christmas to give him your heart. And if you're here today and say, Pastor, you're talking to me. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and I'm going to pray for you. And I guarantee you, people will clap. And, and I mean, something will happen. You make a step to Christ. Not joining a church, but reaching out to the God who created you and the God who loves you. So if you're here this morning and say, man, you're talking to me. I don't want to run from God. I want to fulfill every plan that God has for my life every day. I want to give my life to Christ today. If that's you this morning and you'd like our prayers, would you just lift your hand real quickly? Come on, let me see you real high this morning. Pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ. God bless you, pal. Somebody else this morning, I want to give my life to Christ today. Listen, it could be the first time. Maybe getting back with God today. Anybody else this morning say, pray for me. I want to get right with God. All right, praise the Lord. Here's how we're going to close the service. In just a minute, I'm going to have you stand. We're going to sing one song through at the end of the chorus. You can be dismissed. But our prayer team is going to come back to the altar again, and we're going to pray with you. But if there's any prayer needs you might have today, any struggle you might have, any needs you might have, particularly if you're sick, if you want somebody to pray for you, that God would help you be healthy and strong, we'd be delighted too. So why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet this morning. You may need to talk to someone about your relationship with God. may not be where it needs to be. Come on up, buddy. Let us pray for you. Give him one more big hand. As he's coming, we're going to just begin to sing. Come on, Pastor Nick. Lead us in a song. And as our prayer team comes, you come and let us pray for you this morning. God bless you and Merry Christmas. Here I am too.